Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 2 of the long and winding Royal Road, our look back at the 1990s era of All Japan Pro Wrestling here at postwrestling.com. My name is WH Park, and I hope everyone is doing well. Uh, today's special guest is an independent wrestler uh, from Canada and someone I met uh, last year at some of the major sh- independent shows going on in Toronto back during the uh, the SummerSlam weekend, and he's he's made quite a name for himself over the last couple of years as one of the best technical wrestlers in the world. He is, of course, uh, Daniel Makabe. Daniel, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for uh, having me back after we got to do uh, an episode of the, uh, the Liger Show, and uh, All Japan in the 90s is something that's near and dear to my heart. So uh, when you told me about this, I, I was very stoked to be involved in it. So Yeah, I'm really... I was really happy when I said that, you know, if we record again, this is my idea for the show is looking at the, the four pillars era of all Japan. And you were like, oh, I love that era. So I'm like, excellent. So we can talk about it. So um, before we get into that, though, like I did mention that, you know, you are an independent wrestler. And obviously during, you know, the pandemic, uh, the coronavirus pandemic hitting, a lot of independent wrestling kind of just went on hiatus. And I assume you are on hiatus from wrestling as well. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I mean, things seem to be starting up a, in certain pockets of the United States, um, but nothing uh, has kind of started back up, or not not a ton really here in British Columbia where, where I'm at. And the uh, the U.S. Canada border is currently closed, so you know a lot of my bookings previously have been in uh, like Seattle or Portland or uh, other parts of the Northwest, and I can't currently drive there, so. Um, so that's kind of dried things up a little bit. Um, I happened to be, I was actually in Europe when everything just kind of ceased to exist and all the various restrictions and travel restrictions went into place. And I had one booking over there canceled and there was some concern, mostly from my family members that I was going to be able to get back to Canada. All right. But that, there was no issue with that. I I was quite confident that'd be fine. Uh, and then I ended up having, I believe 12 12 or 13 bookings that I had in place. Uh, some pretty big ones too that got canceled because of, because of all of this and uh, nothing on the horizon for the time being, unfortunately, but the, it is what it is. So now if, if, you know, say in the next couple of months, like a lot of promotions start running back up again, in, in particularly in your area, what kind of criteria do they have to meet for you? Like for you to meet, like, you know, like your safety concerns to be able for you to accept the booking to go wrestle again. Uh, I don't know. I'm a little on the fence. I'm, I'm very torn um, because like British Columbia, where I'm at is um, has done really good. I actually saw a chart somewhere that kind of um, put together all the various like countries and regions with populations of over 5 million in the world. And BC, which the population of British Columbia is, is just over 5 million uh, had the, best numbers period in the world. So, um, things are apparently pretty decent here. Um, that being said, um, like I think for the time being, there will have to be those kind of restrictions where there could be no more than, you know, 50 or maybe a hundred people in the audience. And I don't know, like I, I obviously miss wrestling, you know, it's, it's tomorrow as of record time will be four months since my last match, which is the longest stretch that I've gone in years and years and years. 
Um, but I, I don't know. I kind of I don't really want like the the halfway version of it. I'd kind of rather wait until things seem to be, uh, you know, more in line where 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 we need to be to run shows uh, as they used to be. And that might not be for quite some time. You know, I um, I did have someone reach out to uh, me about a booking in the United States. And uh, while I'm not able to drive across the border, I, I can fly across the border technically. Um, it's just when I uh, would have to, when I would fly home, I would have to, by law, by Canadian law, have to quarantine for two weeks um, before I'm able to return to work or whatever. And I initially thought that that would be um, feasible. And it turns out that that wasn't really going to be the case. And also, I just had a little bit of a um, just kind of a voice in the back of my head, you know, seeing what's going on in the news and seeing uh, kind of the state of the virus, uh, particularly in certain parts of the United States. And uh, I think I'm okay to just sit things out for the time being, if I'm being honest. So, no, I think that's probably the, the best, like, you know, way to go about doing this if you're. If you're an independent wrestler, but it's not your main source of income, like you don't have to worry about like, you know, paying your rent or putting food on the table based on taking wrestling bookings that if you don't need to do it, if you're doing it more out of a passion for wrestling, then I think the way you're you're thinking about it is like wait till it's fully back. It's fully safe. And then and then go back to wrestling. I think it's uh, I think it's quite admirable. So like. My my hats off to you on that. Yeah, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I, I miss it, and and uh, I might find ways to get back into a ring in like a training um, kind of element because um, there is a school here that has has recently reopened because it, uh, the you know the way that the restrictions in British Columbia work, uh, it's allowed to, um, and so you know I'll, I'll be able to kind of scratch that itch, but um, but I'd, I'd rather be safe than sorry. I, I, you know, I have some family members that I'm rather close to that, uh, you know, are older that I don't want to jeopardize them or, or my health or, or any, anyone else in my life. So, so yeah, let's, uh, uh, but you know, but I don't fault anyone else who, you know, obviously is, uh, dying to get back into the ring, especially if it's someone who's making a living off of it. So definitely. Okay. Well, let's, let's pivot towards our, our topic today. And that's, uh, all Japan Pro Wrestling of the 1990s. As, as you said earlier, it's it's a time period, an era of wrestling that's near and dear to your heart. So, Daniel, how how did you discover All Japan Wrestling of this era? I think the first time I ever really saw mention of it was um, like in one of the PWIs, like the PWI 500s. I remember seeing like Kobashi and Masawa getting like ranked pretty high. I want to say it was 97. So I think that was the year they they traded the triple crown back and forth. Um and that kind of piqued my interest as someone who was starting to kind of broach uh branch out a little bit more outside of what I was watching on television um and start to get a little more into tape trading. And then what really kind of set me off was um a couple websites. There was a uh kind of a review website called Kebrada. That was written by a guy named Mike Lorfice. I don't know if you remember that. Um, but he would review lots of All Japan and All Japan Women and, and other um, uh, uh, Japanese promotions at the time. And then the website that really kind of set off my fandom was uh, a message board slash uh, kind of review site called the, the Death Valley Driver Video Review. And, um, you know, they would 
would talk lots about the various matches in all Japan. They did a poll in, I want to say in the kind of the mid 2000, early 2001, maybe ranking uh, the top 20 all Japan pro wrestling matches of the nineties, which we will reference that poll a little later on, I imagine. And, uh, and that's what really kind of set me off in that. Okay. I need to seek out these wrestlers and these matches that I'm reading all these words about. And, uh, and I saw it, you know, to do so via via tape trading and buying things from from wherever I could get them because this is pre streaming, pre uh, gifting, pre all that good stuff. So, well, definitely, I heard about Quebrada. I never really went to that site or read the reviews there, but definitely, I was a very active member of the uh, DVDR message board. I'm not going to tell you what my username was. That's uh, I will I will never tell anyone what my username on. It was incredibly bad. Although uh, it was just. I was I was a teenager and it, it was pretty embarrassing. Though the one funny thing was, uh, the first time that I I guested on uh, Between the Sheets, which is a, a podcast by Chris Zellner and David Bixenspan, who were both regulars on the DVD VR. Uh, neither of them kind of knew who I was back back then. Like they didn't put the connection two and two that you know Daniel Macabe was this person who they had encountered you know twenty years prior. And as soon as uh, Chris Zellner saw my my real name on a Skype call. He immediately, you know, put two and two together. He remembered my username from 20 years ago, and embarrassingly, he brought it back up for for, for that discussion. So, but yeah, no, I I don't fault you at all for for keeping that uh, under wraps. I think probably outside of like the founders of the DVDR, probably the only person who had any courage to you know continue using his username is uh, Alan Farrell over at the Torch. Yes. Yes. Good friend of mine. But um, that's where I first met him. But um, what is it about 1990s era All Japan that appeals to you, Daniel? It's funny because what appealed to me then and what appeals to me now, I I don't know if they're necessarily the the same thing. So um, then I think I was definitely caught up in in seeing all these like cool new moves that I had never seen before. And, you know, a lot of them very like really um, dangerous <laughs> looking ones, which is definitely kind of a trope that uh, definitely got ramped up in the later kind of nineties to early two thousands uh, of that era of, of all Japan and, and kind of carried over uh, into uh, Noah. But, um, you know, now, kind of looking upon it with um with adult eyes um like i just like um i just like how everything is is treated so seriously and how everything has purpose and the selling uh for my money uh especially early in the 90s is is second to none um and, and they just have you know maybe the best roster of uh of full-time like heavyweight wrestlers like ever assembled for uh in my opinion so and of those uh you know of those heavyweights in this amazing roster who would you say is your favorite wrestler of this era uh now like now it's probably jumbo saruta even though we only kind of get like uh, the tail end of his career uh uh for the first couple years of this decade but at the time that I was getting into All Japan Pro Wrestling, it was 100% Mitsuharu Masawa. He was uh, my favorite wrestler um, at the time uh, that my like fandom was really ramping up on on DVD VR. Um, 
I actually posted this on my social media about a year ago, and I'll, I'll send you this afterwards. But uh, I, I was at my cleaning out uh, like a closet at my parents' house, and I found an old project that I did. I, I took Japanese uh, in high school. When, one year I took French and Japanese, uh, which uh, boggling, I didn't get the two confused. But um, And one of the projects we had to do for introductory Japanese was kind of like a presentation on like um, like a celebrity. And everyone else in my class was doing various like, you know, Japanese actors and, and singers and like, you know, pop stars. And I did my project on Mitsuharu Masawa and I actually found found it. In, in the closet. I still have it here today. So I'll send you a picture afterwards. But uh, Misawa for sure was, was the guy for me. Yeah, for me, I was always like kind of fluctuating between like Kawada and Kobashi. And I, and I like them for different reasons. And, and oddly enough, I, people ask me, who's your favorite wrestler of all time? Like um, Kobashi is probably going to hit the number one spot. But if you ask me who my favorite four pillar was, I'm going to say Kawada is my favorite of those four because I think his story is a lot more compelling to me uh, than Kobashi's. Just because, like, I always his eternal struggle to to supplant Masawa in this era is 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 really like just creates compelling storylines and therefore compelling matches. and And I love Kobashi to death. I really, really do. But there's just something about Kawada in this context that just makes it puts him just a step above. Kobashi as as one of the four pillars. I I think Kawada's really he's I don't think he's underrated or necessarily or overlooked. He, a lot of his like his nuance and his kind of his strengths are just kind of subdued. Like he's definitely not as flashy uh as Kobashi or or Masawa. Um but in some ways like I think he might he might be the best seller and that's crazy to say because all three of them are are all great at selling in their own kind of way. But uh, I think Kawada's is uh, is very nuanced and 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 great. And and when it comes to just who's the best straight up ass kicker, it's it's Kawada in a in a landslide. I think so. Well, we'll talk about selling with like with Kawada. Like I always thought when I was getting into this into this into Japanese wrestling in general, like in the night late nineties, I always thought you know who the two best sellers were, especially with like their facial expressions, were were Toshaki Kawada and. And Shinjiro Otani is like, and I was always like fluctuating between those two. Who's who's the better seller? Oh, this week it's I just saw this match with Otani, so it's now it's him. Then I'd see a match with Kawada. It's like, no, it's Kawada. So definitely he has a very nuanced, but he he definitely also has like these very obvious and and really great like facial expressions, especially when he gets like punched in the face. Yeah, no, he's 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 the best. He's the best when it comes to that sort of stuff. He's really good at like delayed little bits where he kind of like tries to shake it off and then it's like oh oh no no that that got me <laughs> like and then he slowly goes down and and kind of uh, you know weeps and and uh uh yeah no it's uh he's he's awesome when it comes to that sort of stuff for sure all right well let, let's talk about today's match you picked this match and it's kind of a hidden gem um because like you you won't be able to find this too easily on the various like you know, sites like YouTube or Daily Motion. Uh, we will have a link for this. Uh, I might host this myself. We'll, we'll see. We're gonna we're gonna upload this. It's gonna drop in in about a month's time from when we're recording this. But I will have somehow for people to to be able to watch this match. Don't worry if you're listening to this and go, oh my god, I can't find this match. You, I will have we'll have a link in the description. Uh, but we're gonna talk about uh, Jumbo Saruta 
and Akira Tawe, collectively known as Sarutagun, and they're taking on the team of Ketakobashi and Siyoshi Kikuchi, members of the Super Generation Army. This comes from the New Year Giant Series Day 18 show from Corican Hall on January 26, 1992. And Daniel, why did you, uh, what was it about this match, and how did you find this match? Uh, so, uh, there's a few things. Uh, I, I don't fault anyone who chooses one of like the big epic all timers, like, you know, the, obviously the June 9th, 95 tag match or the December 6th, 96 or June 3rd, 94, or, uh, you know, January 20th, 97, any of these like kind of all timer nineties, all Japan matches. But, um, cause those are epics and they're amazing and they deserve to be discussed. But, I just wanted to go with something a little off the beaten path, something that not everyone has seen necessarily. Um, and so it kind of flashes back to that Death Valley Driver best of the 90s list. It was uh, like a poll voted upon by people uh, on that message board at the time. And I don't know where like love for this match came from or where people saw it. But somehow this match finished, I believe, number like 17 or 18 out of the 20. Among all those other epic, you know, I, I just listed like four or five dates off, right? There's so many more that I'm, you know, completely forgetting about, uh, including one uh, involving this team that we're going to discuss, um, you know, Kobashi and Kikuchi. They have an all-timer a couple months after this. But uh, um, but this one just kind of stood out to me as like, okay, this is weird. I've never heard of this match. And I think I first saw it, um, you know, maybe a couple years after the poll came out when I was trying to be a completist and see everything on the poll. And it was when I finally saw it, it was like, oh, OK, I, I get it now. This this match, you know, there's like very little discussion about it online. But I but I think it's a real, real hidden gem. And I wanted uh, to discuss something just a little bit different and, and hopefully shine some light on what is a bit of a forgotten match. So and so this match is a, a continuation of the like the, the red hot Super Generation Army versus the Sarutagun feud that that is happening in all Japan at this time. And just for background, people who don't know like what these terms mean. So the Super Generation Army is kind of like the younger guys in all Japan at the time. Primarily uh, four wrestlers, Mitsuharu Masawa, Toshiaki Kawada, Kera Kobashi, and Tsuyoshi uh, Kikuchi. And I'm kind of listing them in their, their pecking order. So Masawa's number one. Kawada's number two, Kobashi's number three, and Kikuchi is the number four guy on the team. Um, you would say that Kobashi and Kikuchi are kind of the B team of the unit. Like, so Masao and Kawada, when they team, they're like the, the top guys, the top team in the unit. Um, and on the other side, we have Saruta Gun. So at this time, Saruta Gun is primarily, of course, Jumbo Saruta, who the, the faction is named after. Uh, his number two is Akira Taiwe, who used to be aligned with the Super Generation Army, but he, he kind of turned on them to join Jumbo Suruta and probably for the best, he was, he was going to be slotted as the number four guy if he stayed with the super generation army and Kikuchi would have been number five. But he thought if I join Jumbo and I get mentored by the ace of this company, I'm going to be the number two guy in the unit and I'm going to be in all the main events and very smart on Taiwei's part there. Uh, number three in the team would be uh, Masanobu Fuchi and uh, their number four would be one of the younger wrestlers uh, who is still wrestling to this day is, and that's uh, Yoshinari Ogawa. I don't think we see him outside the ring for this match, but he's definitely part of the unit. He's usually the pin eater in most of their matches like that these guys have in their multi-man tag matches, Daniel. Yeah, they, that's one thing that they do really well, uh, you know, within the context of the promotion in general, which kind of translates over to the matches themselves, which is is, is very indicative in this match. But they, there is a pecking order and um, 
they they use that to to tell stories. You know, that's that becomes like an element within uh, their storytelling within their matches or their series of matches. And uh, yeah, I don't think Ogawa's out there for this match. But Fuji 100% is, and and uh, I just have to throw it out there because I think Fuji is one of the most underrated workers of all time, and uh, and he's someone who doesn't get enough uh, love shine on him. And he was wrestling fairly regular, not maybe not regularly, but he was wrestling before the pandemic. I think was he not still going like a couple matches a year? Or? Mainly in Cork and Hall, all Japan had Cork and Hall shows. He would do like the comedy stuff in the. Uh in the uh, in the in the opening tag matches and things like that which is kind of funny because like if you watch fuji in this era he is a vicious bastard he's like the anti-comedy guy but like i i love like when when the noah exodus happens and the only two uh you know um natives who stay are are kawada and fuji fuji got like a little bit of a push even though he was kind of past his prime but everyone at that point could still see that he could go. That's off topic, but still, uh, yeah, Masanobu Fuji is a, an amazing worker who I I definitely have lifted things from in, in my own work. So, so you're, you're talking about the the various stories that exist within the overall feud of uh, Super Generation Army and Saruti Gun, and so the main story of this is like obviously Masawa versus Jumbo is the main story of the feud because they're vying to for the ace position. So Jumbo is the ace, and Masawa wants to become the ace. Baba's picked him to be the ace of the company, and and so that's the main, you know, the the, the main crux of the story behind a lot of these matches. Uh, Kawada versus Tawei is the other story, and like anytime these two interact at this time, which is kind of ironic to say because like they become one of the best tag teams after Jumbo leaves and Kawada joins up with Tawei, but these guys hate each other, and their a lot of their interaction is just so violent and brutal. It's it's quite amazing, and then. Kind of the understory is that Kobashi and Kikuchi are the guys trying to prove their worth against, you know, Jumbo and Tawei and Masanobu Fuchi and Yoshinari Agawa. And especially Kobashi, because, like, he's number three. But you know this guy's just got the fire. And obviously, you know, later on in, in, in the decade, he's going to become one of the top guys in the company. Like, it's it's like him, him, him and Kawada are training number two spots, I feel. But, um, yeah, the main story... In this particular match, though, Daniel, is like Kobashi Kikuchi, they're going to take on, they're the B team, and they're going to take on the A team, and they got to, like, hold their own. They got to try to, you know, not, I don't think that the, the goal is to win the match. I think the goal is to, like, get in there and show, like, that they're worthy to be in the ring with Jumbo Suruta. Yeah, they got they got to prove their worth, right? They got to show that they can hang with, with, the, with the big boys, specifically with, with Jumbo, and uh, and that the fact that they're they're not going to back down to to them like I, I think you know Kobashi feels maybe he's a step uh, below uh, Tawei on the on the pecking order but they they feel kind of kind of equals and I, I think Tawei does Tawei debut kind of around the same kind of time frame as Kobashi I know he's a little bit older but that's because he had like a sumo career beforehand right but I I think so yeah I think they debut around the same time as Sal and, and Kawada are debut earlier. And then yes. later on, like it's Kobashi and and Tawei. I, I do think Tawei came from a different company. I think Japan Pro Wrestling, and then he joined um, All Japan. Baba recruited him for All Japan, but he was still a rookie, though. Gotcha. Yeah. So you know, like they they hold their their own, you know, quite well against against Tawei. But you know, the 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 unit, the established unit of, of Tawei and Saruta, like that's a whole other story that. They really have to prove that they can hang in there, and uh, 
and they come at it with a with a good uh, game plan and a goal. So you know, certainly. So, well, let's talk a bit about this team. Let's talk about both teams actually, but let's talk first about Surtigan. So, you know, Jumbo in his career, he he was part of like some really great tag teams. He had, you know, obviously the start of his career, he was teaming with with his mentor Giant Baba a lot, and then he would go to form kind of the All Star All Japan team of of himself and Jinrichiro Tenru when they were like taking on the invading forces of Ricky Choshu and Yoshiaki Yatsu and, uh, and the Choshu army came, come into all Japan, jumping in from, from new Japan pro wrestling. And then later on, Yoshiaki Yatsu would form a tag team with Jumbo Suruta called the Olympics, which is an awesome tag team. Uh, I, and then they have, they have the best jackets when they're, when they're the Olympics. I love those jackets. They were, but anyways, um, I've, I was going to mention Jumbo's ring jacket in, in today's match. But um, and then, you know, Yoshiki Yatsu leaves to join SWS along with Tenru and Asuharahara and other people. And so Jumbo needs a new partner. So he picks Tawe. And and I, I, I don't know, like, I love the Olympics and I love his team with Tenru. But my God, like, I love the dynamic of, like, what we call the senpai, the senior and the kohai, the junior. So mentor and apprentice you know that's kind of like that's the relationship these two have and i love the dynamic of those kinds of tag teams in general but i think it works so well in this particular pairing yeah no it, it does because like Tawe is almost kind of like a like a junior um saruda you know he's he's kind of a saruda in training like he didn't necessarily reach saruda's highs as a worker, although Tawei himself is a very underrated worker, like very, very underrated worker. Um, but um, it just feels like a natural fit, these two together. Whereas like um, like Tenru and, and, and Sarut are very much feel like like equals. Um, and uh, and yeah, like you, like you said, the kind of the, the, the junior and the mentor, um, which is um, that's kind of a classic. Uh, pairing in Japanese wrestling, you know, you, you get a lot of those kind of tag teams that get put together and end up being, um, you know, working really well, you know, well, especially in all Japan, you know, later on in the nineties too, there's, there's other various pairings that, you know, that can, can be referenced, I'm sure during, uh, throughout the course of the show. So oh, definitely. So let's, let's talk also about Kobashi and Kikuchi and you referenced that a couple of months after this match, they're going to be involved in a classic, and that that classic is against the the Can-Am Express, the team of Doug Furness and and Dan Crawford, and it's for the All Asia Tag Team Titles. and And I'm sure someone's going to pick this match, if even if I have to pick it myself, and maybe bring you back onto the show. Maybe we'll talk about that match in the future. Maybe we'll talk about a different match, but this match is going to definitely get talked about. And and like one thing, like it's important to remember like Kobashi would have these like epic teams with Misawa later on and where they're the world tag team champions. He would also team later on in the later stages of the decade with Junakiyama as burning, which is my favorite like pairing of Kobashi and another, another wrestler is the, is Akiyama and Kobashi. But my guy Kobashi Kikuchi, like, and they displayed in this, in this match and we're going to talk about it is they just have this, undeniable chemistry like with their their double team combinations and the way they tag in and out and the way they they kind of look out for each other in this match as well and they just seem so in sync that like if you're not familiar with this tag team just don't just go on like the can-am match like this is another great example of like these guys work so well together and like they would have been like they would have fit in like in in any other company of the era that had a strong tag team scene 
Yeah, I, I noticed you you conveniently left out the the infamous Kobashi Johnny Ace team, but uh, um, no, you're quite right. I, I think Kobashi and Kikuchi have like almost like a brother kind of vibe to it, like a big brother little brother sort of pairing. Uh, it it just feels to me like you know Kikuchi is obviously you know undersized for the All Japan Heavyweight scene. Um, you know, and he would have his share of like junior matches, uh, you know, against Fuchi and, and other kind of junior heavyweights, um, junior heavyweights. in pre- I mean, they have a junior heavyweight division, but a lot of it is is very much integrated into the main kind of division. Right. But um, but it always just feels like to me that Kobashi is always looking out for Kikuchi and they do have those like cool kind of tandem moves. A lot of them involve Kobashi, like hurling Kikuchi at their opponents. Uh, to you know, in a very effective manner, though, right? So yeah, it's kind of like his like uh, his wrecking ball that, or, or like he's Thor. Kobashi is Thor, and Ikuchi is Thor's hammer, Mjolnir. So <laughs> that's maybe how we can look at that relationship. So so getting to the match right off the start of this match, as soon as the bell rings, K- Kobashi and Kikuchi jump through the gun. As you know, right away, Kikuchi hits Tawei with a dropkick, sending him to the outside. Kobashi just runs into the corner and hits Jumbo with a forearm. Knocking him off the apron and and right off the bat, you know, this match is on. Yeah, hot start and uh, and like I said, like they come at it with a smart strategy. You can sort of see, you know, referee, um, you know, uh, underrated uh, part of of what made All Japan in the '90s as special as it was. Kyohei Wada is the ref here, and he's kind of saying, okay, like. You know, let's get one guy back to each corner. Okay, Saruta, you're going back to your corner. Okay, uh, you know, Kobashi, Kikuchi, who's it going to be? And they're kind of doing the kind of schoolyard, like, okay, guys, we, you know, like they've got the the plan and they're they're going to time it just right. You know, the the game of uh, you know schoolyard ball or whatever, right? And and as soon as the bell goes, they both uh, uh, you know make the the big attack. You know, Kikuchi drop kicks Tawe and, and Kobashi knocks. Uh, Saruta off off the apron and and they know that their their plan of attack is they have to isolate the the lesser man on the team Tawe and try and get an advantage that way so and this includes like like you're saying like Kabashi picks up Kikuchi and throws him over the top rope right onto Tawe who's who's on the floor at Corican Hall which I was like oh geez this is like they're 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 not messing up out early in this match and uh most of the the kind of like the first I guess six seven minutes of this match is you know Kobashi and Kikuchi double teaming Tawe including this one really cool move where kind of Kobashi kind of backflips Kikuchi onto a prone Tawe who's on the mat and I thought that that's and that's an example of one of these like great double team moves that these two come up with yeah, absolutely. Like their 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 first kind of six seven minutes, like the shine, uh, as it were, um, is a lot of of quick tags in and out. The one thing that I love that is just like a really subtle thing that um, um, they do is they spend the better part of the early stages of the match trying to work over Tawei and specifically his back and specifically for Kobashi to try and turn him over into a Boston crab and. Um, you know, Kobashi tries to turn him over for a full Boston Crab. He can't get it. He has to, you know, um, settle for something else. Kikuchi tries to turn him over for a full Boston. He can only get the half, but only kind of partially turns him over. Um, and, and every time that they're trying to, you know, get a, uh, like a submission kind of locked on to, to its fullest, uh, there's, you know, cranky old Jumbo Saruda to, uh, to, 
you know, put his nose in there and make sure that, you know, if it appears to him like, OK, he, they might actually have something here. He's in there to break it up and, and to punch one of them, you know, square in the face and kind of show them, hey, don't don't forget who's boss here, who who's running things here. Well, as you're saying, so, yeah, Jumbo at some point, like during like, you know, all the heat that Tawei is taking from Kobashi and Kikuchi, he just thinks to himself, OK, I'm tired of these guys beating the shit out of my boy here. He comes in. And, he, and, and like as Kobashi is tending to put the Boston crap on, he just goes in and just starts punching Kobashi in the head and then kicks him in the face for good measure as well. Yeah, no, for sure. But the one thing is, like I said, neither guy is afraid to stand up to Jumbo. You know, there's there's a couple moments where, you know, I, I think he kicks Kobashi off and then he goes back to his corner and Kobashi's right there in his face and, and he gives him a, you know, a forearm or, or a big slap. And, and that's one thing is you know, Jumbo, Jumbo knew when to sell for these guys, right? Like Jumbo's obviously, you know, the, the legend and the, the strong man uh, on his team and in this match, but he knew when, when to make these guys look good and when it was appropriate, uh, you know, to, to go flying off the apron or, 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 you know, he sells like a little slap from Kikuchi, like, and, and makes it, you know, seem so meaningful, you know? Well, Tala himself has had enough of this shit and starts lobbying forearms, Overhead chops and knee lifts to Kikuchi. But, you know, Kikuchi is able to drag him back to his corner to awaiting Kobashi. Kobashi tags in and puts Tawei in the Canadian backbreaker. But Jumbo comes in to punch Kobashi in the face again, which is kind of a recurring theme if you if you watch a lot of these tag matches between Super Generation Army and Sarutigan. Like, Kobashi is either getting punched in the face or the nose or or they're, like, working over his one of his knees. Yeah, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, those knees were ended up being his downfall. But uh, but yeah, no, that's uh, that's kind of a thing in in all Japan and the way they structure their tags is is you kind of if you're if you're there on the apron and you, you see your guy getting worked over, you you want to give him the opportunity to kind of work his way out of a hole. But but if it appears it's not gonna it's gonna go his way. Then you need to step in, and you, you got to punch uh, Kendo Kobashi in the face. That's just the way it works. That's how it works, especially if you're Jumbo Saruta. Uh, from this point, uh, Kikuchi tries for several different submission moves in the early part of the match, including a Kimura lock, a stretch muffler, and a single leg crap. Uh, Jumbo comes in and punches Kikuchi in the face. I, I just like when Jumbo punches any of these dudes in the face while they're putting on submission moves. Um, and it's during the, like, like when he has like the single like crab on, on Tawei, but you know, Kikuchi gets this punch, but he ain't taking any of Jumbo shit. He goes over to Jumbo and elbows him right in the face, knocking Jumbo off the apron. So going to a point you just made a couple of, you know, a minute so or so earlier is like Kikuchi and Kobashi are just like, listen, and they've been feuding with Jumbo for a while now. But they're not intimidated by him. They they know that, you know, like they can go up to him and just like, you know, hit him really hard. And he, they're not going to get in trouble backstage or anything like that. But in the context of the story that we're seeing on screen in the ring, it, it, it just puts these guys over so much, especially uh, especially Kobashi. Yeah, no, I mean, K- Kobashi definitely stands up, you know, to 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 Saruta. But um as you said, you know, Kikuchi does it here too. Um, although, the, you know, one thing that kind of becomes a narrative uh, in the match in, in a couple places is, you know, these two guys are working really well together. They're they're doing their double teams. They're, you know, trying to um, uh, isolate Tawei. And, you know, they get distracted by, by Jumbo, obviously. And they, you know, they feel like, okay, we need to stand up to him. We need to prove our worth. 
And sometimes you need to pick your spots and you need to, you know, stay focused on on the task at hand, which is Tauway, because uh, Kikuchi here, you know, suffers a, a fate coming up uh, when he turns his attention to Jumbo, and and it's uh, it gets it gets pretty brutal in there. <laughs> well, I, a point to make is that all these interference spots from Jumbo elicit strong boos from the fans. So you have to keep in mind that you know Jumbo's been the ace of this company for the last, oh, I don't know. 15 20 years and but like the stir- the fans are more excited about the prospect of like Masawa Kawada Kobashi uh becoming like the new main eventers of this company like the fresh faces and Jumbo is holding dearly onto his spot in the company as the ace of the company and and but and so he's kind of the, becomes you know the from the hero he becomes the de facto the the, the heel the villain of these interactions and the only times usually where like Jumbo and Tawei as a team get get cheered is when they're facing like for example like uh, a team like the Miracle Violence Connection like you know that that's when the dynamic changes when they're fighting like the, the Gaijin wrestlers not not against like Super Generation Army but either way like it, it's an awesome tag team and, and like you know but it's, it's really interesting to see Jumbo get booed you know I, I can't imagine like say in New Japan like Yuji Nagata getting booed you know what I mean? No, but but I think I think Jumbo really he knew his role at that point and he and he really ran with it, you know? And that's that's something like yeah, there All Japan was built on a lot of tradition and uh and people um you know, had long long careers there, but when people reached a certain point in their career, they knew when to, you know, either de-emphasize them, put them lower on the card, put them in the comedy matches. Even Giant Baba did that. Um, and Jumbo would have done that too had he not, you know, had his issues with, um, I, I think it was hepatitis, right? But, um, but you know, at this point, you know, Jumbo's, you know, got to be in his forties, and he's not there to uh, be like the star babyface. He's there to be, you know, the old man who they can play off of, and we can have these, you know, these bright new upcoming stars, which, you know, like. Any one of them would be like a once in a lifetime, you know, talent. The fact that, you know, all Japan had all these guys at the same time, um, all on the, on the uprise is, is crazy. But, you know, Jumbo knew how to, how to play off of them and play his role and, and help them grow and help, uh, you know, foster that roster to become what they would become later on in the decade. From here, uh, Tawe uh, drops Kikuchi throat first onto the top rope. And this is when Jumbo sort of finally tags into this match. From here, Jumbo immediately shoots Kikuchi into the ropes and then kicks the young man square in the face. I love this shit. Uh, Jumbo sends Kikuchi to the outside where Tawei picks him up for what looks like it's going to be a body slam on the floor. But instead, you know, Tawei drops him chin first into the blue guard wells. And this gets some really shrill screams and boos from the fans. There, I was going to say, that was one thing I was going to bring up. There wasn't like an audible gasp because... The, the crowd kind of – you can hear uh, their attention levels kind of rising as he picks them up for the body slam. They kind of, oh, and then he drops them on the guardrail and they just like, oh, like they all, you know, they recoil in, in terror because uh, yeah, that probably didn't feel good. And and that becomes kind of a recurring theme not only in this match but in Kikuchi's career that he kind of becomes everyone's punching bag and he takes some brutal punishment in this match. Yeah, including Jumbo repeatedly ramming Kikuchi's head into the top turnbuckle, 
We should get the fans chanting Kikuchi's name, which is just amazing to hear. Like this Corkin crowd, which is, you know, traditionally a very, very, very vocal crowd. And I've been fortunate enough to be in that crowd many times. But in this point, you know, like they're they're really rallying behind Super Generation Army and especially Kikuchi because just the the sheer amount of brutality he is absorbing from Jumbo Saruta is is really you know, you, you can't feel anything but sympathetic towards him like as you were saying before daniel uh from here Tawei tags in and hits kikuchi with his uh sumo stance clothesline i don't think that's the official name of it but that's what i call it uh yeah i'm not sure what the move move is called uh and is it one that like did he continue to do that as the as the decade went on or did he kind of leave that one by the wayside i'm trying to think i think he kind of de-emphasizes his like his sumo background for the most part, but I think he busts out once in a while. If, if he's able to set it up properly, like without it looking hokey or anything like that, he'll, he'll do it. But, you know, he's doing a lot of the sumo, you know, like sumo positioning in, in his matches, like in the early nineties, like later on, yeah, I can't really recall. I'm sure it'll come up like in the matches I review with him, with him later on in, in, the, in, the, in the, as the show progresses. Um, from here, Tawei then p- puts Kikuchi, I, and I love this fight, he puts Kikuchi into a giant swing, but as he's swinging him round and round, he's also swinging Kikuchi up and down until he finally crashes Kikuchi into the ropes. And I'm just thinking, man, Kikuchi bounces off of those things, and it looks brutal. But I was also thinking, man, this is awesome. Yeah, no, it's like one of the more violent giant swings I've ever seen. And, and it's it's a nice little nod because Kobashi earlier on, like I said, they're they're trying to get that Boston Crab on on Taue. And at one point, Kobashi almost tries to to giant swing Taue just to turn him over. And he, he you know he has uh, you know not not the best attempt. And Taue's a big big boy to be trying that on. And it almost felt to me like you know Taue like getting a little bit of uh, hey, do you want to try to do this to me? Well, I'm going to do this to to your younger brother here, and I'm going to do like do it in a much more violent manner. And, and there's nothing you can do about it. So, and and the brutality doesn't stop there because t- Jumbo tags in and hits Kikuchi with the most vicious atomic drop I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I thought Kikuchi's spine was broken from the force of this atomic drop that that Jumbo like inflicts on poor Kikuchi here. Jumbo like Jumbo's gotta have a good like I don't know eight, nine, ten inches on Kikuchi. And I don't think I've ever seen someone use his height, like the height discrepancy at, as effectively as Jumbo does here because like you said, he picks him up with this atomic drop, but he picks him up all the way up onto his shoulders and he holds him up there and kind of marches them around the ring and then brings him down hard across his knee. Like it's, yeah, an atomic drop is something that's kind of like, that feels like kind of an antiquated move, especially uh, with 2020 eyes. But um, like this was not, this was like, this was violence. This was, this was fitting. And this was, yeah, it was brutal. Like it's, I've never seen anyone do it like that since. So listen, if, if, you use the way Jumbo did this atomic drive. You use this in 2020 match. I would believe it's the finish. Seriously, that's how that's how violent this move looked. It was, I mean, Bob Bob Backlund used it as a finish. So, yeah, like, well, I mean, not not <laughs> the modern era, right? back in the 70s, yes. But I know, I know, but, I know. But, but Jumbo, Jumbo, if he, like, you'd have to be a tall wrestler and like someone with like you know some some you know heft to their to their body, I suppose, like to be able to like make this believable, but just the way 
he he just drives Kikuchi's ass into his knee. My God, it, I I was like wincing watching that, and I and and you know like I know this is a work, but it's also all Japan, so like probably like ninety nine percent of this actually really does hurt. Uh, but uh, from here, Kikuchi rallies back and hits Jumbo with forearms and then a leg lariat. But you know J- Jumbo comes back with a fish with these vicious knee lifts to the face of Kikuchi, and again like like you're like you were referencing earlier, Daniel, like Kikuchi just is the whipping boy of this match. Yeah, like he gets that little bit of a fire up, a little bit of a hope spot, hits that leg lariat, and it almost just serves more to to anger Jumbo and be like, "Oh, you're you're gonna fight back? Well, I'm gonna give it to you twice as hard now." And uh, and yeah, he just continues to pummel him. And and like you were talking about also before, it's like Jumbo selling in this match is is just amazing. Like it, it serves kind of twofold. Like one, it's putting over the younger wrestlers' offense, like Kobashi Kikuchi in this in this instance but it's also like showing why he hates these guys so much because they're so disrespectful to them and they and they can they can't hurt him they their offense does hurt him and so like he it angers him like these guys are nothing to me like but they're still you know their offense is still like having an effect on me and so like it, it plays into this his hatred of all four of these guys yeah absolutely and yet still at the same time um, they do such a good job of, of protecting him. Like they, you know, uh, maybe a little preemptive, but th- they don't really get any of their big false finishes on Jumbo because, you know, he still is held with such esteem, you know? So, so there's a time and a place, but, and, and he's building them up, but it's, but it's still not, you know, it's, it's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a little, uh, reined in still. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think you know we you got to save it for Masawa, right? And and Kawada. Yeah, exactly. Oh, really. Exa- exactly. There still is that pecking order of you know this is the junior team of of the Super Generation Army, right? Yeah. Uh, Kobashi finally tags in, giving K- Kikuchi some some relief, and he goes after Tawe with his trademark chops and, and a drop kick. Uh, Kobashi is briefly in control of the match until Tawe reverses an attempted suplex onto the mats on the floor, and and Ko- and it's Kobashi who hits the ground instead of Tawe. Uh, Jumbo tags in and snapmares. This is great. Jumbo, so Ko- Kobashi's on the apron on the outside of the ring. Jumbo snaps him over the top rope back into the ring. He then shoots him into the ropes and follows up with a brutal kitchen sink knee into Kobashi's abdomen. And and you gotta just amaze that this this is a guy who started like. Really, the the late sixties, the seventies. He's and then he's he's his prime is really in the eighties. But the way he wrestles, he's one of these guys that adapts so easily into a modern style for his time of the nineties. And his offense is just so brutal. Like the, the atomic drop, it's brutal. This knee to the abdomen, like the what, what you know in the video games, is called a kitchen sink. It, you know, it's not normally a vicious-looking move necessarily, but the way Jumbo does it, it just looks like it could be a finisher. Yeah, he's—I mean, he's—he's he's a, a well-seasoned veteran. I, I believe he's a twenty-year vet at this point. I think he debuts in seventy-two, but he—he um, he knows, you know, when's the time to be really methodical and slow and and really just kind of work his opponent around, and when's the time to really ramp up the intensity and he's someone who's still, you know, in his forties, you know, in theory past his athletic prime and can still go at a pretty hard clip and he can charge down Kobashi and give him a kitchen sink. 
which is it's something that Kobashi would end up using, you know, as a trademark spot years later too, right? So uh, from here, Sarutagun takes turns beating the shit out of Kobashi until he makes a comeback with a lariat on on Tawe. And then he applies a modified abdominal stretch where he pushes down on Tawe's head and neck at the same time. And and I can't remember if this is one of Jumbo's trademark moves because he does this move and Jumbo just gets really pissed off in the corner. It, it's 100% one of Jumbo's trademark moves. So it's, it's very much throwing it back in Jumbo's face. And there's this very cool dynamic of Jumbo kind of stepping through the ropes like, am I going to break this up? I'm like... You know, how dare you do this right in front of my face? And he's he's kind of torn. Is he going to let Tawei have to kind of work his way out of it? There's there's kind of like a, a sense of honor in, in that, right? Um, and then eventually when he, he – it looks like he's going to step through and and finally intervene. Kobashi, you know, releases the hold and, and moves on to, to the next bit. But it's 100% uh, uh, throwing it back in Jumbo's face. Uh, from here, Kikuchi enters the ring. He sends Tao into the corner and hits him with a black elbow. And then he just immediately runs towards Jumbo Saruto on the apron and forearms him right in the face. And it's just like, now it's on. Now it's like, okay, we're we're just going to continue. We're going to give the punishment to you, old man. And then, you know, you know, Jumbo's not taking any of this, though. Like, Jumbo picks up Kikuchi for what looks like another atomic drop from hell. But instead, he tosses him into the air. And then Kikuchi just goes splat back first on the mat, which is just brutal looking as well. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there's a, uh, there's like a, almost like a, a nice kind of, um, a build throughout this match of, of Jumbo picking up poor Kikuchi, um, like a sack of potatoes and dropping him down in increasingly brutal, uh, more and more brutal matters. But, um, for my money, like that all Japan ring in the, in the early nineties, does not look very forgiving and being dropped from that height and just falling straight flat onto your back. That probably did not feel very nice. If you're, if you're Mr. Kikuchi, probably not. No, uh, Kobashi tags in and, uh, he and Tawei exchange chops. Kobashi blocks a hip toss and turns it into a beautiful looking DDT. Uh, Kobashi follows up with a face crusher and goes for the cover, but Jumbo comes in and stomps away at Kobashi's head uh, Jumbo then hits Kobashi with the with the kitchen sink knee, and while he's close to the other corner, he decides to you know pay back Kikuchi, and he kicks Kikuchi right in the head for good measure. And I just made a note of what an asshole Jumbo is. Uh, I mean, definitely, but he's gotta he's gotta stand his ground. You know, he he can't uh, he doesn't want to show weakness to these these young upstart kids. You know, so he uh, even it is you know it is needling him, it is affecting him. He's got to do his best to to play it cool and, and kind of put them back in their place. Uh, Jumbo continues his assault on Kobashi with his patented jumping knee, uh, a vicious body slam, and a lariat. Uh, Jumbo kind of goes for these sequence of moves again, but Kodashi, Kobashi ducks the lariat. He avoids the jumping knee. And, you know, as they say, Daniel, hey, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And he hits a draping clothesline on Jumbo here. Yeah, no, I mean, that's... Uh... That like honestly, that's that's kind of a uh, a pillar, you know, mind the mind the pun uh, of of wrestling, you know, like uh, learning learning from our past mistakes and and building upon it, and uh, and it's just such a a classic uh, storytelling 
uh, element that these guys are just uh, amazing at. You know, not only over the course of of a match, but over the course of a series of matches, you, you know, you'll find things where uh, where they're learning new moves and learning counters, and and that's something that's just really beautiful about the style and and the era of all Japan in the nineties. Yeah. So from here, Kikuchi tags in and hits a missile dropkick on Jumbo. Uh, but Jumbo returns the favor with a big boot to Kikuchi's face. And we're pretty much in the, the crescendo of the match, Daniel, at this point. And Super Generation is riding a wave of momentum, hitting Tawe with various tag moves like a double suplex and a variation of the uh, Midnight Express's rocket launcher move. I can't really describe it too well. You, you, you'll, but if you see, you see it in the match, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, Kobashi and Kikuchi just... Like, as we've been saying throughout this whole review, they have just this excellent chemistry as a team. Yeah, and, and this kind of series of, of, of near falls they get on on, on Tauway really really shows their their teamwork because there there are times, like you said, where you know Kobashi helps uh Kikuchi with that splash. It's almost like he kind of holds his hands and Kikuchi jumps a full 180 over uh, to the far side of Tawei and lands a splash. That's kind of the the rocket launcher variation you're, you're speaking of. But there's also times where Kobashi is uh, is doing his best to to hold back Tawei and, and keep him at bay, uh, so Kikuchi can hit some of his own stuff on. on ta- uh, sorry, I should say Kobashi holds back Saruda, uh, so Kikuchi can hit some stuff on Tawei. So yeah, their teamwork, both it, you know, in the kind of classic sense of the word uh, of working together, and also watching out for each other's back is is really something here. Yeah, Kikuchi hits hits a dynamite kid like diving headbutt on, on Tawei and gets it close to. He also hits this beautiful German suplex with an assist from, from a Kobashi thrust kick to Tawei's face. And this also gets a two. So we're we're here hitting the part where like we're getting all these uh, near falls in the match and the crowd is just going absolutely crazy. And and you mentioned before the referee of this match is Kyo Wada, and in this match, he shows why he was my favorite ref for so many years. Like in in the last couple of years, because of his age and stuff, he's not as good as he used to be, which is natural. But um, I think one thing I like about Kyo Wada is that like his his pinfalls, the way he counts pinfalls, is so crisp and dramatic, and he's also able to maintain his authority in the ring, and thus you know kind of lends to the credibility not only himself as a referee, as an authority figure, but also the credibility of the match itself. And that's just something I really, really loved about all Japan refs, but in Kyohei Wada in particular. He, yeah, he's he's an all-timer who doesn't get a lot of play, uh, especially with, you know, kind of modern um, Japanese wrestling fans. They don't necessarily know kind of the uh, the legend of him, but he's, for my money, may, maybe one of the best referees ever. Uh, I mean, definitely one of the best referees ever, maybe the best for honestly, the amount of high end amazing matches that he has been a part of. And, you know, the best referees are ones that you you kind of don't notice. And at the same time, you do notice they they add little subtle elements to the matches. They they help sell what the wrestlers are doing in the ring. And at the same time, you know, there's this nice balance of that and, and then being kind of subdued and, and falling into the background. So the wrestlers themselves are, are on the forefront and, and Wada is just, he's sublime when it comes to that sort of, uh, that nuance. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would say he's even better of a ref than, you know, the legendary Joe Higuchi who, you know, like he, he's, he's a good ref, but like as age catches up with him, he, like his his counts are really slow. Like, and then you have Wada in the same era as he's coming up as a ref. He's his counting is just like one, two, three, and it's it's all like 
you know, it's consistent. And that's something I, I, I like in referees is they have a consistent, you know, counting of the, the shoulders to, to, to the mat for a three count. And, and like his, his near falls, like the way he sells, like almost hitting that, you know, 2.75 count is, is awesome as well. And just as you're saying, like referees are, the best referees are the ones that you don't notice until you, you have to notice them. And that's when they're, you know, you know, kind of like counting the fall or, or, you know, getting the, you know, getting the call for the submission from, from a wrestler who's about to give up, you know, in a match or something like that. But back to the match, uh, we, we see Jumbo preventing Kobashi from hitting a moonsault. And he does this by clubbering him in the back of the head with a lariat. So again, like, you know, something that, you know, Kobashi would become used to, not only from Jumbo Saruta, but from people like Stan Hansen as well. Um, from here, Tawei flattens Kikuchi with a face crusher and follows up with a variation of his Nodoa Otoshi chokeslam. But this isn't enough to keep Kikuchi down because this man, he just, he's the baby face fire that exists in Kikuchi in this match is just off the charts. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and just backing it up a little bit, like like you said, you know, we've had Kikuchi hitting these series of of big false finishes on Tawei. We had the top rope splash. We had the diving headbutt. We had the big German suplex hold. Okay, now it's time for Big Brother Kobashi to try and hit his moonsault and finally put things away, which, you know, hint, hint, he, he may have done it in a bigger match coming up shortly. Um, and Tau, you know, Saruta knows that, that this moonsault is is a finish. It's it's if he hits it, this is going to be it. And he, you know, he lariats Kobashi off the top rope, and Kobashi doesn't get back into the ring for the rest of the match. You know, he comes to finally, and and he's uh, he's has to be subdued. But you know, it's it's little things like that that you know they put over the severity of things. And 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 just the selling of Kobashi on the floor. And this allows, like you said, Tawei to kind of turn things around, hit that face buster, which looked brutal, hit that kind of it's almost like a precursor to the Noto Otoshi. It's almost set up like a sleeper, just from like a, a different kind of angle. And uh and then really turn things around for him and Saruda and and uh and really uh now it's gonna be uh up up to Kikuchi to survive, basically, because Kobashi's laid out on the floor. Yeah, so like you're saying, Kobashi is kind of out of the match. Jumbo and Tawei hit the smaller man with a double boots to the face. And then from here, basically, we're, we're getting to the end of the match. Jumbo murders Kikuchi with a brutal lariat, but can't get a three on him. He then follows up with one of his signature moves, the folding powerbomb. But still, Jumbo can't beat Kikuchi. Kikuchi kicks out. And this crowd is super electric. And are going nuts for Kikuchi kicking out of all of Jumbo's big moves. But finally, you know, Jumbo Suda, the ace of the company, hits his high-angle backdrop suplex and finally puts Kikuchi away for the three count. And, you know, I got to say, the best part, not just the the move itself, the best part has to be the play-by-play guy hitting the register of his voice labeled shrill and and screaming as Jumbo kills poor, poor Kikuchi with this backdrop suplex. Yeah, if I recall, he like he literally screams out backdrop like as he's got Kikuchi up in the air, like he knows what's coming. Um, And yeah, it's 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 amazing. Like I said, they they do um, they do a really good job of of putting over Kikuchi and his resiliency because, you know, plenty of people before have fallen to that lariat or fallen to that powerbomb. And uh, and and he doesn't. uh, But unfortunately, he does fall to. You know what? Maybe one of the most brutal backdrop suplexes I've I've ever seen in my life. To be perfectly honest, 
Yeah, so the the match time for this is 22 minutes, 21 seconds of pure tag team excellence. Uh, I got to say, I love this match. Uh, One thing I really liked about it is that, you know, both teams look strong. It wasn't just one team dominating the other. This wasn't like a a glorified squash match or anything like that. The Super Generation Army looks strong against the, the... the higher ranked Sarutagun team of Jumbo and Tawe. But, you know, like at no point did like Jumbo and Tawe look like they were outclassed by these younger guys. Like it was a very, very even match, which, you know, considering that, you know, like we were saying before that Kobashi and Kikuchi are the, the B team of Super Generation Army. It's it's kind of like incredible to think that, you know, Jumbo and Tawe, especially Jumbo, were like were so willing to give these guys so much in this match. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. It's it's a very even match. There's there's long control segments on both ends of, of the spectrum. One thing that I think, it, um, you know, like I said, they, they, they play up to kind of the hierarchy really well in that all of the Super Generation Army's big false finishes at the end are on Tawe, and all of uh, Sarutagun's big false finishes on the end are on, are on Kikuchi. So they do a good job of of protecting Kobashi here too because, I mean, they probably knew that he was going to move on to bigger and better things uh, as years would progress. And even though Jumbo is, you know, is starting to show his age and is selling for these guys, you know, he still is the top heel in the company. And and so they protect him as well. So, 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 so yeah, no, the... Uh, uh, both both teams come off looking re- really good in this match, and it's something you don't really see, at least in my opinion, too much in, in Japanese professional wrestling these days. Is like where like, there's a lot of double teaming, like in coordinated like tag team moves. Like a lot of times, like I feel, especially say in in New Japan Pro Wrestling, a lot of the tag team matches are you know involve guys who are two singles guys, you know, having a match with. You know, like there's two separate singles matches happening in one match is how I feel a lot of like tag team matches in Japan are like these days. Um, not so much for junior matches, but a lot of heavyweight tag team matches. But this this doesn't feel like that at all. This actually feels like something I would see in like, you know, the, the late 80s WWF or, you know, the, the late 80s NWA Jim Crocker promotions or, you know, the early 90s, uh, you know, WCW. Like I feel it's that kind of a match that both teams could do well in either of those divisions. And, you know, like one thing I want to say before we finish the show is that like, you know, Siyoshi Kikuchi, this guy might be the most underrated worker from this era of all Japan of, of his generation of, you know, the super generation army from the four pillars era. And I feel it's a shame. Like giant Baba never gave as much focus to a junior vision during this era, because with guys like Kikuchi and, and the aforementioned Dan Crawford uh, anchoring a division like that, there was potential for it to being, a fun division, if not as high quality as, say, New Japan's junior division. But I think it would have like been a nice, you know, compliment to a lot of the like the heavyweight and multi man tag matches going on in in all Japan during this era. Yeah, I mean, you know, it certainly wasn't as uh, vast of a talent pool as the New Japan juniors, and they weren't working that same kind of style necessarily. Um, but all Japan had their own share of, of very talented junior heavyweights. And, you know, part of the problem, uh, a lot of, of kind of went, went awry is, is I believe it was in 93 or maybe 94, all Japan loses their, their one hour time slot and they get, you know, condensed down to a 30 minute time slot on, on their television program. 
And what ends up getting you know, cut a lot of the time is you basically don't see any of, of the juniors on on the television program. So they, they didn't really even have a chance to shine uh, with what what they were doing. So it, it's kind of a shame because uh, a lot of these guys, like I said, Kikuchi is, is really unsung and and Fuji. They were kind of like the top two kind of native juniors in all Japan throughout the 90s. And uh, and they were both really good workers and. Uh, not a lot of people uh, will uh, will reference them uh, nowadays. Yeah, you also had like the Malenko brothers working there during this time as well, and and um, Johnny Smith is is kind of starting to come into the company uh, via Dynamite Kid, and I, I like it, it, there's just a lot of potential there for having you know something different on the card, and I just and I just like one thing my criticism of All Japan would be that a lot of the matches. Uh, like on the undercard feel kind of same, yep. you know, and, and it would have been nice to have like a, a faster paced match. It's like kind of why I like when, you know, when like Hayabusa shows up in all Japan for a short period of time, as I talked about in the previous episode is that he, he really adds a different flavor to all Japan. And, and, and like I said, like it's, it's, it's too bad that Hayabusa never got to work in all Japan. And I say that as an all Japan fan, uh, it's no offense to like you know the people who enjoyed his work in in FMW or anything like that. But uh, back to the our, my fl- cl- closing thoughts on this match. Like uh, again, I loved it. I gave it a rating of uh, four point four and three quarter stars uh, for my own rating scale. And yeah, and I'm so happy that that you picked this match, Daniel. Yeah, I'm I'm wow, four and three quarters is crazy. That's awesome. I I mean I love that match too. It's uh, I'm not really uh, much of a star guy, but like. Uh, it holds up, uh, you know, among the the best uh, of that era, and it's you know it's it's got a it's long you know it's in the low twenty minutes, so it's not like it's short, but it's not like it's a it's a huge epic. But they pack a lot in there. Um, there's a lot of of uh, there's just a really nice build, and and it builds uh, in an interesting way, um, in a way that kind of tag matches don't necessarily um, they don't feel that way. Like you mentioned, it it just feels like. Uh, um, the kind of teamwork isn't um, necessarily focused upon it a- as much now as it was then. And uh, I love this match too. It, it certainly holds up from when I first saw it, you know, close to two decades ago. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad that I got to share it with you and, and hopefully everyone listening at home will, will check it out as well. Yeah, I hope so as well. Um, so let's wrap it up here. And uh, where can people find, uh, you if they want to like follow you on social media or anything uh yeah check me out um at daniel makabe d-a-n-i-e-l-m-a-k-a-b-e um that's my handle on twitter or instagram um i don't have any dates upcoming obviously but um I do post daily music recommendations, so if you're in a bit of a funk and you need something new to listen to, check me out. And uh, and obviously, once I start having bookings again, uh, that will be the uh, the the best place to uh, to find out about them. And uh, if you've never seen me work, um, there's plenty of my work on on YouTube, on IndependentWrestling.tv, on WXW Now which is uh, WXW in Germany's, um, you know, their streaming service, which I've been lucky to be a part of, of uh, a lot of big shows for that promotion over the, the course of the last year. And, uh, and thank you once again, WH, for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. And, and anytime I get to talk wrestling with you, uh, it, it's a blast. So It is uh, for me as well. And I definitely 
want to have you back on the long and winding royal road uh, in the future. Uh, in the in the in, as long as this show lasts, and you know, Daniel, I keep saying this, like this this show can last an entire decade in of itself since it's a monthly show. Yeah, it's a monthly show, and and there's so much good you know there's obviously the, the obvious ones you know the matches we've talked about um yeah like that kikuchi kobashi match uh from may of 92 is, is such a such a classic I, i'm sure you'll discuss it at some point but uh there's literally so much material to draw from so i think you've got a real uh winner of a concept on your hand and i and i can't wait to listen along to the series as it unfolds well, thank you very much. And uh, I want to thank all the listeners for all the uh, positive feedback I've been getting on social media uh, about, uh, you know, the the, couple, the, the two, two episodes we've had so far. And, and please continue listening. And on behalf of Daniel Makabe, I want to thank all the listeners. And until next time, I will say goodbye. Goodbye.